Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. My name is Marion Rose, PhD, and today I'm so delighted to have talking with me, that's a funny way of saying it, isn't it? My dear friend and colleague, Joss Golden. Welcome, lovely Joss. Hi, Marion. Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for having me back on the beautiful Aware Parenting Podcast that has had two million downloads <laughs> as of last week. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Oh, thank you, lovely. Thank you, thank you. And I'd love to say for our listeners, if you don't already know, Joss and I already co-host another podcast called the Aware Parenting and Natural Learning podcast so if you're in any way that inclined I invite you to come and listen to that as well and, and just you also have your own podcast the Aware Parenting Stories is that the accurate yep. yes so uh, also if you enjoy listening to Joss which I know you will because <laughs> I do <laughs> I also invite you to come and have a listen to that but anyway today we're going to talk all about sleep as part of the sleep series and I think you're going to be talking about your own experience with sleep as a mother of two but also talking about sleep and teenagers which is often quite a hot topic as well isn't it but do you want to start off with sharing about your own journey um, as you came into aware parenting or just anything about that I didn't mention as well of course you're an aware parenting instructor too but yeah come and come and share what would you like to share about your own experience with sleep Thank you, Marion. And I love that you're doing this series because and I've listened to uh, the first two in the series and I'm on my way into the third. But I think it's really, really helpful because it's so often a challenge for people. <clears throat> and I think sleep is what often brings people to aware parenting, isn't it? Challenges with sleep. And that was certainly true in my family. My son was born and we just did classical attachment parenting and he just woke all the time. <laughs> He would have 45 minute sleeps during the day and the rest of the time he would be awake and wouldn't go back to sleep. And at night he woke very, very frequently for many years. Well, for, for two years anyway, the first two years of his life. And it was completely exhausting and overwhelming. And I became absolutely obsessive with how long he'd slept for. And we tried everything to try and help him to sleep more. I even gave him a dummy at one stage and part of me was thinking, oh, please just stuck on the dummy and go back to sleep and part of me was thinking oh please don't do that but I was completely exhausted and then my second child was born and uh, she didn't sleep very well either so that's when we discovered aware parenting and that's when things really changed fundamentally for the family and people started sleeping <laughs> because we started listening to feelings and things really shifted and it's interesting, though, because in spite of practicing aware parenting for a long time and doing lots of attachment play and lots of listening to feelings throughout the years, we have still had issues on and off and challenges with sleep uh, at different stages and different ages. And uh, I know that I also had difficulties with sleeping as a child and uh, I was at boarding school. And so I was really used to sleeping in rooms with lots of people. And I remember I was thinking about it last night and I was thinking I was going to come on and talk to you on the podcast. And I remembered that in the dormitories at night, the last thing that we would all say to each other is, can I wake you up if I can't sleep? And that was a big time when lots of us had lots of feelings coming up. So there was often lots of fear around sleep for me as a child. And I do remember when I used to go home in the school holidays that I really hated sleeping in a room by myself. I really found it very hard not to have somebody there who I could say, can I wake you up if I can't sleep? 
And I do remember as well around, I guess I was about 10 or 11 and I was really struggling to sleep in the room at home by myself. And I think my parents in sheer desperation didn't know what to do to help me and took me to the doctor and the doctor prescribed sedatives for me. So (laughs) I would be sedated in order to fall asleep. (laughs) So yeah, you're laughing because you can see my literally my jaws dropped. I'm I feel incredulous. Oh my god, Joss! Thank yeah. you. That, that younger you, so much love. Wow. Yeah. And I really understand as well. Like my parents just really wanted to help me, and they really wanted to support me to sleep. And that was, you know, nothing was understood in those days around attachment and around those needs for closeness and connection. So, of course, yeah, that's what happened. But as a result of like the things that I learned when I started studying psychology and I read, I know you did too, The Continuum Concept by Gene Needloff with the Aquana people. And that really was a real light bulb moment for me around our needs as humans for closeness and connection whilst sleeping and whilst preparing for sleep. And it completely made sense to me that people, millions of people all around the world sleep together, sleep next to each other and sleep in groups And that's with children as well as adults as well. And so that as soon as my son was born, I was really passionate about that. That's what I was going to do. I was going to co-sleep. And and so he was in my bed from the moment he was born. He ended up being born in the hospital. And yeah, I had him in bed with me that night, even though the midwives were really unhappy about that. And so, yeah, we've always co-slept with our children when they were younger. And that was something that I really, I really loved and really met everyone's needs in the family even though sometimes it was a bit of a juggle but yeah I think that's been that's been a really important part of the process but it is a challenge even when we're listening to feelings and doing lots of play there are still times when it's difficult when there's particularly stressful things going on for our children or or for us or for both and each of the stages of childhood has its own different rhythms and this circadian rhythms and the different stages and and different ages around melatonin and how that's released at different stages in life so yeah it's it's a it's an ongoing thing to learn how to support our children at each different stage and with each different child because their sleep needs are very unique as well and my son has always well once we started aware parenting my son would fall asleep fast but wake up early and his name's Sol and I can't sometimes wish that I'd called him something else but because he often used to wake with the sun and my daughter would take a long time to fall asleep even when she was younger and but would once she was asleep that was it she stayed asleep and would sleep late so it is also about tuning into their different rhythms too. Oh Joss I feel so touched as always hearing you speak and with the experiences that you had as a child but also your experiences with your own children woven in with all the wisdom and information that you have and compassion and it's such a big journey isn't it and I think so often our own experiences are so pivotal to really understand how much they may be affecting us and how we're perceiving sleep and how we're responding to our children and to take that into consideration, even when we're practicing aware parenting, isn't it, to be really holding often. We need quite some healing, don't we, from what we experienced. And I've certainly experienced that too. And yeah, I love what you said as well about really just getting that attachment piece and on a cultural level, the completely strangeness really, or the unusualness of what we see as very normal in the disconnected domination culture or in industrialized cultures, 
which is actually so, so recent in human history and still, I suppose it's becoming more and more common, isn't it, as colonisation spreads around the world. But really, that just would never have been the way. It would never have been each person in these individual rooms in their own beds. And I think that's always so helpful, isn't it, to imagine those I remember watching documentaries and seeing in different cultures just seeing everybody wherever it is in the world it might be in a hot country and they're all kind of sleeping hammocks in this massive baby place like it's how we're designed to be isn't it yeah yeah and how we've been designed to be for hundreds of thousands of years <laughs> and this is as you say such a, a new recent thing to be putting a child in a, in a different room in a cot and for some people of course that really works and that's what they need to do so but I do feel like most children really benefit from closeness and connection uh, whilst sleeping. And I think when we practice aware parenting, the more that we're supporting our children with feelings, the easier it is for us to sleep near each other because there's less agitation and less distress in their bodies. So the sleep is more sound. But yeah, I think it's it's so normal, whatever age you are really, to, to want to have closeness and, and sleep near people certainly when you're young yes absolutely and I think really having that historical and cultural perspective which we so often talk about in the aware parenting natural learning community of course as well and the podcast is it just really makes a big difference doesn't it and I think often when we come into parenting often as younger parents unless we've read something like the continuum concept it's easy to not know any of those kinds of things and just to assume this is how it is and like your parents like oh there's something wrong with the child if they're not sleeping rather than actually what might they be communicating about their unmet needs including for closeness and I also really loved what you said as well about if children are getting to express or babies a large percentage of their feelings they feel more relaxed in their bodies so they've got that closeness as well and then they are able to sleep and I've worked so often with parents I imagine you have two who uh whose child is perhaps very wriggly or agitated whilst co-sleeping. And they think that that means that the child needs to, to go and have their own bed. And then actually realizing that by amping up the attachment play and listening to a larger percentage of feelings, then they actually can be co-sleeping and actually quite relaxed and calm in bed and not wriggling around. And so often those things on Facebook, aren't they, of the, the kind of classical toddler positions of the toddler moving around the bed all night and being upside down and the parents getting no room and really understanding from an aware parenting perspective that usually indicates accumulated feelings. And actually we can get restful sleep and co-sleep at the same time. Mm, yeah, yes, absolutely. And I found when I had two children, and I was managing like day naps with two children and that kind of thing. It was just so much easier to all be in one bed together. Uh, and I know that there were times when my daughter, when I, when I stopped breastfeeding her at night and I was listening to more of her feelings at night, that was quite challenging with all of us in bed. So I do remember we had stages where my son would sleep with his dad in one room and I would sleep with her. And so that we have had different arrangements over the years, but yeah, we were all in the same room for a long time. And it was really nice because when we moved to live down where we're living now, initially we all lived in a shed while my husband built us a house. And so there was just this area at the back of the shed where we would all sleep together. And it was like wondering if we hadn't had that set up, if we'd had the house built by then, perhaps I would have felt some pressure on me for my children to go into their own rooms earlier. But because we were in a shed, that, that wasn't even an option. So we were able to continue co-sleeping for, for longer than 
many people would probably presume would be a good idea or people's thinking is around it. And yeah, I've really loved that that and it's supporting my children to sleep by themselves when they choose to be ready to do that and respecting their needs in that without thinking that there's anything wrong with them or anything wrong with me if they want closeness and there are times of course like when your kids are sick when they're older and they really want to still be close to you or you know there's lots of times when if they're going through something big they want to be close to you again so I really love that we've been able to trust them and respect them and follow their their guidance about when they want closeness Mm, I love hearing that Joss and again I'm thinking of that cultural perspective if you think about it particularly again in industrialized countries there's often that when people are getting a family home isn't it's often thinking how many bedrooms and we need lots of bedrooms we need one bedroom for everybody and and again that that cultural setup uh, has an effect on parenting and I love what you said about living in the shed and we had similar we built a, a small house deliberately so that we didn't have a big mortgage or anything like that and, and then we did all co-sleep the four of us for quite a lot of years and I'm so passionate about the gorgeousness of it and actually really because there still is and I still hear that from parents and again I'm sure you do too so much shaming in the culture and shaming of parents in order to really help parents think it's normal to separate early so I think it's so important to really bring in the opposite and to actually say this is such a beautiful thing and if it is something that parents enjoy to really for us to be really welcoming that and celebrating that and saying no enjoy it because it is such a wonderful and glorious thing isn't it I just love co-sleeping so much I think it's one of the most gorgeous things and particularly if we didn't experience that as children to actually experience how different things can be for our children and that they actually can have that support and that closeness at night which is so normal and so settling for the nervous system isn't it to have that closeness yeah absolutely and if you think about that our more like distant history as humans you can totally understand why we would have evolved to feel a sense of emotional safety by being close to others at night. Uh, and, you know, if you think about us living in caves and having saber-toothed tigers running around and stuff, of course, we would need to be close to others in order to feel that safety. So that would be sort of hardwired into every cell of our body as, as, a, as a species to want and to need that closeness for that sense of safety. So, yeah, I really love that. Yeah, so I think we'd like to say that a million times, wouldn't we, just to anyone listening, if you're wanting to co-sleep, and of course there are safety things to take into account. Of course, it's really important that people are informed about those things. But if you're wanting to co-sleep and you're being shamed or judged or compared, what I often suggest to parents as well is to do it. And just don't tell people that are going to judge you or shame you or disagree. Just listen to yourself and what you would really love to do and to really trust Again, this is so innate. It's your innate wisdom that wants to do that, wants to be close with your baby at child at night. And there is nothing wrong with you. And it's the most beautiful, gorgeous, wondrous thing. And, and to really enjoy that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I remember when my daughter was about six and she went through a stage where my husband and I would take it in turns to put the kids to bed at night when they were little. And one of us would go and lie in the middle between them and, you know, read a story and then listen to feelings and they would fall asleep. And my daughter went through a stage where she just something was going on. And I don't know really what it was, but there was something going on for her. And it was about probably related to something that happened to me at, at that similar age. 
but she really wanted me close to her and to stay but she was having struggles to fall asleep and I remember at the time feeling really frustrated because I really wanted to go out and to have time with my husband and yet have an hour before we all just collapsed in exhaustion and went to sleep at night and I remember going through a stage of being quite frustrated about her needing me and looking back with the benefit of hindsight I wish I'd just really seen it as an invitation actually from the, from the universe for me to get more sleep because what I really needed at that time was was more sleep and what she really needed at that time was more closeness and so if I'd actually just listened to that instead of going into that I should have time by myself in the evening we could have found other ways to meet those needs and you know we could have had time together during the day where we pre- prioritized our kids being with somebody else and we could go and have had time then. So it really didn't need to be last thing at night. We sometimes get really sort of fixated on that. And I did too. And so if I could rewind back to that time, I would just have stayed in bed with her and gone to sleep early and made time to hang out with my husband in the morning sometime when we both had a bit of energy to actually be together. Uh, so yeah, often that yeah, that we ha- it's what we're telling ourselves it should be that kind of can be gets in the way and disconnects us. Yeah. And I think as well, when I'm hearing that, uh, both having a son and a daughter who are in their late teens and early 20s is to really, again, see the, yes, I know it can be so hard and it seems so long, but in retrospect, it isn't. And to actually, you know, every single opportunity for closeness and for, for cuddling up and for chatting and for gazing into their eyes, it's actually such a gift. And it is actually really a short time in terms of the span of our lives that they are children and to really it can be really hard to see that when we're in the midst of it but I think I'd love to say that as well from this place in the parenting journey to yeah to see things from that perspective sometimes yeah absolutely absolutely and and you know my son's left home now and I never yeah I never go back and think oh I wish I hadn't I wish I'd sent him into his own room earlier (laughs) I just think I'm so glad that we had so many moments day and night when we were closely connected to each other and what what beautiful times and how hard it was sometimes too but Yes, I'm so glad that we prioritize connection. And I think that's what Aware Parenting invites us to do again and again and again, whatever age our child is, is to prioritize connection. And often that means sleeping together. Yes, and it can be really helpful as well. Like if there isn't so much connection in the daytime, and I know you and I, we had a different experience often because of uh, our children not going to school. But if there were days where perhaps you know, we were doing other things or but, you know, for parents who are working and children that are going to school or daycare, that often if there is a really busy day to actually get that closeness and you know, almost on that deep unconscious level to be really having that sense of, ah, that closeness is there. So, again, it's a really helpful antidote in the, the busy lives that so many of us lead as well, isn't it? Mm, yeah absolutely yes Mm. so do you want to share more Joss about you you were talking about all the different ages and stages and I love how you talked about that and melatonin and all the things I just so appreciate all your wisdom and knowledge do you want to share something about that in terms of the time span and the different ages yeah well I think um the obvious one is when our children become teenagers, there's this real change in their physiology as they start to go through puberty. And so in the run up and in the early teen years. And so there are obviously physiological changes that are going on in their bodies in that time. And there is this 
understanding that children who are teenagers like to stay up late and wake up late. And for lots and lots of teenagers, that is true. And that is largely because the timing of when that melatonin is released in their bodies gets later and later. And so they stay awake for longer and then they need to sleep longer the next day. And of course, that was such an advantage for us because we were homeschooling. So it didn't really matter what time we had to wake up the next morning. Uh, And so, but often just understanding that for parents is really helpful as our children get a bit older, that those rhythms do change. And it's hard when they have to get up and go to school, but at weekends, you know, are we able to allow them space to, to have more sleep and to fit more with those natural rhythms of their body? So, you know, perhaps that might be dropping some activities that you do at the weekend or just arranging and scheduling your weekend so your teens can sleep in because that is what their bodies are naturally wanting to do. And I love how you share around the three things that children really need in order to sleep. And the first one is tiredness, to feel tired or to feel to need sleep physically. And so it's really about working with their their rhythms and their patterns rather than forcing it. And if we're saying to teenagers, like, you have to go to bed because you've got to get up and go to school in the morning, they're just not tired, then that's going to make, make it really hard for them to fall asleep. So that's probably the biggest transition sort of change time really with children. And I suppose the other one that I found quite hard to navigate was when they started to change in the, the naps that they were taking in the day or when they might drop a day nap or or, go, or lose day naps altogether. And those transition times are really hard. And I remember when my son stopped sleeping during the day, but my daughter was still sleeping in the day. And he would, like if we were driving home at five o'clock at night, for example, he would often fall asleep in the car and I would be like, no, please don't sleep. Singing really loudly, keeping him awake because otherwise he wouldn't go to sleep when you got home. So you know, so much love and compassion to parents because it is such a juggle. And and with sleep, you sometimes go through these times where you think, oh, great, I've got it sorted. We're on a schedule. We're on a pattern. I know what to expect and what to anticipate. And then everything changes and you're like, oh, okay. So, yeah, I think those are the two, the two big ones when they, when the, the napping in the day changes and when they start to sleep much later at night and want to go to bed later at night. And I think, Yeah, when the teenage years, there's lots of things as well to be juggling around sleep because, of course, lots of our teenagers are on screens and that might be impacting, that often impacts their their rhythms when our eyes, if you think again from our evolutionary perspective, we were designed to go to sleep pretty much fairly quickly after sunset and to wake up pretty much at sunrise because of course we didn't have electric light and so we might light a fire our ancestors would have lit a fire and then we would have all fallen asleep and now because we've got electric lights and because we've got you know the internet and all those other things people are inclined to be not following those natural rhythms and with teenagers often they're on screens and often they're on screens in the evening talking to their friends or playing or watching or whatever it is that they're doing and that can impact on those natural rhythms and the other, there are other things that impact on those rhythms too in the teenage years. One is that they start, lots of teenagers start drinking caffeinated drinks uh, in their teen years. They might start drinking coffee or, or more tea, or they might be, I mean, I don't know, but my kids don't, but they might be drinking those sort of, oh, I don't even know what they're called. You know, those drinks that are like, like sports drinks. That kind yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and those things have all got lots of caffeine in them. So that can affect their natural rhythms. And also many teenagers get into 
other things that might be disrupting for their endocrine system like cologne or aftershave or soaps and and um, makeup or personal hygiene body products that have got lots of fragrances and so on in them lots of people's houses have got uh air fresheners and those kind of things in them and those those fragrance chemicals are quite disrupting for that endocrine system so that can affect the sleep cycles too so and there's lots of other things like wi-fi and emfs and things that that can impact that too so just i think being aware of those things and how sensitive your children are generally to to things like that can be really helpful to try to get as much in their environment to be supportive of their natural rhythms around sleep as possible and to avoid the things that are going to be disrupting that Mm, I loved all that that it's a long list isn't it of things that can have a, a really big effect and to actually see and of course it can be hard as well with teenagers to be supporting them to maybe to do less of those things or to use different things <laughs> that can be a bit tricky at times I remember my daughter occasionally buys things that aren't organic and like and I'll be like what is that? And then remembering at her age, I was saying, we knew we'd probably remember as well that um, the impulse, do you remember impulse oh, yeah. spray? Like we were always just spraying all these toxic chemicals all over us all the time. Yeah. So yeah, I had a little chuckle at that. Of course, it's not really very funny, but a bit of laughter can be helpful. The other thing I was thinking just when you're talking uh, a little while back about without all those added factors teenagers naturally that whole melatonin phasing being really just changing and them actually naturally wanting to go to bed later at night as you and I think often do and go back to okay hunter gatherers what was what's the function of that do you know I've never actually thought about that I wonder what the yeah I always trust there's an important reason for those things I've never thought about why that might be I think it was probably in relation to caretaking for younger children and you know, starting to take more roles in the in the tribe around those sorts of things probably, but I don't know. That would be interesting to know what, yeah. what the evolutionary purposes of those rhythms changing. Yes. Yeah, I'd Probably preparing for parenthood really, isn't it? Because as you come into puberty, you would have had children probably younger than yes. many people do in our modern societies, and so it's probably preparing for that. I don't know. Yes, or... Maybe not have don't have young children around, but maybe it was going out like at night. Maybe that would be meeting up with and coupling up with others as well. Maybe that was part of it. Who knows? But actually, I feel really curious to understand what that is. So thank you for that part. Uh, and going back as well, those the whole nap and dropping the nap and all of that. That's so big, isn't it? I'm also sending so much love to all parents who are in the midst of that phase right now. I always yeah. find it helpful sometimes to remember. I think some, sometimes in the dropping of the nap not the I remember that too that oh no don't if it's driving something no not if you fall asleep now you'll wake up like but more about the dropping the nap and then actually noticing that then they would get tired and of course when they're tired they're less able to to repress their feelings and then actually that would support that natural uh, relaxation process of them crying before bed and often that would actually be really helpful. And I really remember being able to really trust that. I've got, okay, they're going to be more tired. And that will actually mean that they can express more feelings and then they'll be able to sleep more. And that really helped that kind of transition period out of the nap. Yeah. But it can be yeah. really big, can't it? As well, it's often when we might have a nap and we might lose that as a parent. And that often makes a really big difference, doesn't it? To not have that bit of time in the day to nap or to do other things. So Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember when the hardest time I think was when my daughter was little, really little, and she would sort of sleep between like nine and ten thirty, and then my son would sleep between about eleven and twelve thirty, and then my daughter would go back for another sleep between about one and two thirty, and I'd get to like two thirty, three o'clock, hadn't actually managed to leave the house, like. But then when, yeah, we used to, like you say, when they drop their day naps and then we lose that nap, that can be really hard. Although I do remember that that was a really beautiful time when my son dropped his day nap. That was like our special time. So I would put my daughter to sleep for her nap and then my son and I would go and have special time and play. And that was really, really lovely for for our connection and for supporting healing and catch up crying for him for his accumulated feelings that had been sitting there for a couple of years trying to get out before we knew about aware parenting. So I did find it really helpful, but it it was also really tiring. Yes, it's a it's a lot, isn't it? And again, I think we could come back to that holding that original context, that bigger, wider context that we're not designed to be just one or two parent, and often one parent at home for long periods of time, and navigating all of these kinds of things that in any healthy culture with lots of people around, there can be people sleeping. And my understanding as well, and I haven't looked into this for a long time ago, but I remember Brett Darnesh, who's who is in our web parenting community and an web parenting instructor. I'm sure he shared some while back that he'd done some research that actually many cultures not only have naps in the middle of the day, but often actually will wake up in the middle of the night as well and have time connecting time. And so again, I would like to do a little bit more research. But yeah, naps and in many hot climates and often like Mediterranean countries, again, it was very traditional. And I think obviously that's probably changing because of colonization, but everyone would have naps mm -hmm. during the day. So siesta was very common and shops were closed. And then there would be, again, a very different nighttime routine and often children would be taken out to restaurants in the evening. So again, just really different, even in European cultures so I think it's always really helpful to look at different cultures isn't it and to say to see when there's lots of flexibility to then to see that actually we also have that option to change things and to do things differently because humans are so flexible and do things so differently in different cultures yeah that's right and it's such a fundamental part of aware parenting is is tuning into the unique needs of your child and then making choices for your family that work for your family and meet as many needs as possible for everyone in your family and yeah I love that freedom from the, the it has to look any particular way around sleep it's just whatever whatever works for your family yeah yes I imagine lots of people just breathing a sigh of relief <laughs> like oh you mean we don't need to do it like everyone else no <laughs> get to mm -hmm. absolutely experiment and find a way that really works for you mm -hmm. and and again to not tell people if you don't want to just yeah get to choose yes yeah Although, and there have been definitely things that around, I think aware parenting supports us so nicely around sleep, because if we just apply those lovely aspects of aware parenting to supporting our children, it really does help with, with every aspect of sleep. Even, I mean, in the teenage years, I think there's often, as well as the other things that we've talked about, there's often increased psychological stress that they're experiencing as a result of the pressures of being a teen in our modern lives. And you know, the, as I said, navigating puberty and, and but also going through that stage of, of individuating slowly from from us and becoming themselves is it's a really exciting and, and wonderful opportunity for teenagers. But it's also quite a scary, stressful can be experience as well, realizing 
that you are separate and that you're going to have your own life and that you're moving away from your family in that slow, slow process. And, and so, you know, there are lots of parts of that that can be quite stressful to navigate as our children come into the teenage years and, and move beyond. And then all the pressures around school and exams and uh, all the societal pressures around. I mean, so many people say to teens, just what are you going to do when you grow up? And you know, most, most teens just don't know. <laughs> And there's all those different pressures. And then you bring in the social media, uh, navigating the social media world, which is, of course, a really new thing. We don't really understand the impacts of that, except that we know that is it is stressful, that it has these sort of physiological effects on our children as well around, well, just so many things that they're navigating through it. It's all the obvious stuff. But, you know, lots of pressure, lots of comparison, lots of expectation, lots of uh, 24-hour communication potentially, not being able to, I know lots of children experience really harsh and unpleasant experiences through social media. There might be that sort of online kind of bullying sort of stuff that's going on that can be really, really hard to navigate. And uh, yeah, then also around navigating friendships that's often hard for our children and teenagers. And then as they start to have relationships as well with others, that's a pretty tough stuff to start navigating. So there's lots of reasons why it's a stressful time. And of course, stress will impact on their sleep. And no matter how beautifully we've aware parented them, no matter how much listening to feelings we've done, no matter how much attachment play we've done, we won't have been able to listen to all of their feelings. And so there will be past stuff that comes up for them too. So it's really understandable why that would affect their sleep. And so that's when we can really be so reassured that we can bring in these beautiful tools of aware parenting. And, and I think one we've talked about connection and, and how important that is generally. And I think it's also really important to be connecting, especially as our children get older, before sleep. So before they go to bed, when they're little, it's really easy, isn't it? Because we get into bed and we read them a story and then we listen to feelings or, you know, whatever, or we do attachment play or whatever it is. But then as our kids get older, you know, we might often go to bed before them or, or they might be out with their friends and come back later or they might be off in their rooms doing something on their own rather than out with us in the family or, you know, whatever. So there is more disconnection. There is more separation. And I think it's so helpful to really prioritize moments of connection, ideally playful, fun connection with our teens uh, before they go to bed. Or in my case, it's usually before I go to bed. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I often pretty much always make time to do that, to go in, to connect if they're somewhere else or to invite them to come into my room when well, my son's away now, but you know, my daughter to come into my room to chat, to play, to laugh, to, to connect before sleep time and to bring some of that same qualities that we're offering to our younger children just into their lives too, where there's more of that disconnection. I love you sharing that so much. And just also when you were showing it before that, about all the different stresses and possibilities of what they might be experiencing, it's just so much, isn't it? I just have so much compassion for teenagers and all the just extra, extra things that they're going through nowadays even compared to when we were teenagers. And it's what a hard, hard time it is. And it's just so big as well isn't just physically like literally they've become a completely new person <laughs> I see that with my daughter and son it's just it's phenomenal isn't it and I know it's just obvious because it happens to all of us that we become adults from these child bodies become adult bodies but it, that in itself is just so mammoth isn't it like who you are is literally completely transformed in those teenage years 
So, yeah, love that. Love what you said about the closeness beforehand. So beautiful, so inspiring. I love how you talk about Tiwa, all ages, as you know, but just the connection you have with your son and daughter is so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, so what else? I'm trying to think what else we do that is really helpful around sleep. And yeah, we talked a bit about play. I think that's something that we tend to, we have to remember to keep offering our children as they get older. And sometimes I have, Aletha has this beautiful quote. I can't remember exactly what it is, but she basically says, don't let their growing independence fool you into thinking that they don't want to be with you. Cause of course they still really need that connection. And that, that playfulness is such an important part of that. And so, you know, still doing special time, like one-to-one offering that still doing, bringing silly nonsense play into, into your day-to-day life as much as you can Uh, having power reversal games still be part of your life whatever age your children are having like special family time in a a playful way too you know all of those aspects I mean even regression play we do sometimes in this sort of jokey way and my kids are like oh god here we go but I think they love it really (laughs) are you you willing to share a bit more do you think they feel comfortable if you share feel free not to if you well sometimes I mean yeah sometimes we might do things where we might go into playing like she's mine she's mine and and do a bit of that and again my daughter knows exactly what we're doing and she's sort of like oh but I think she really loves it too and the other day we just sort of had this sort of jokey play of this game that we used to play when she was little that she went through a stage where she would always choose to play this particular game in in special time and so we were just talking about that and we kind of had this jokey role playing of that again (laughs) we were both laughing so much and being really silly about it but that was nice and sometimes it's just like picking them up and going oh you're still my baby aren't you and kind of (laughs) cuddling this person who's way bigger than me (laughs) um yeah, lots of and lots of sort of joking around, chasing, having family, the family jokes that come up a lot, running around with the dogs and being silly around that. Yeah, it's just it's so it's it's so lovely when we remember to bring it in as much as we can. And I think everybody in the family really benefits from attachment play, whatever age our children are. Yes, it's so beautiful, isn't it? Rebecca Sheik is an aware parenting instructor in England and she's a regional coordinator england and parts of africa and she was showing about the she's mine he's mine she's mine game which is you reminded me recently that's actually from lawrence cohen isn't it which is an amazing book that that we highly recommend playful parenting gorgeous book and i was saying we still play that sometimes with sunny who's 16 and like particularly if it's his dad or he's going somewhere with his dad was to his dad's place and i'm like no he's mine i want him and you know that it's so powerful these games when they know really can work throughout all ages and even if it's slightly more silly and goofy when they're they're teenagers (laughs) yeah absolutely and and just lots of laughter bringing as much laughter as you can to their lives and my yeah both of my kids have got really good sense of humor and we just like share lots of funny silly things there might be something on, on you know meme or you know whatever and again it's so nice to bring power reversal into that my daughter and I played a game the other night where You have the karaoke lyrics on your phone and you hold it away from the person and then you're videoing that person singing the song that they think they know the words for and getting it all wrong. And of course, she did much better at it than I did. But, you know, just lots of silliness and playful connection is is just it's yummy. It's really nice. Still needed very much so. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. Yeah. 
And then I guess the next thing would be listening to feelings. And, you know, that's something that we do again, regardless of how what age our child is, but lots of time spend listening. And I think, yeah, as our children go into their older teenage years or going into teenage years, they often have lots of big feelings, as I said, partly because their lives are quite stressful and partly because they've got unhealed parts from their earliest where we weren't able to listen. But yeah, lots of listening to feelings and often those feelings are really big. And so yeah, it's really helpful for us just to remember to not take it personally if they're say, you know, if they're walking away or slamming doors or telling us to go away or whatever, taking those feelings when we feel pain in response to the things that they say when they're sharing feelings, we can take that to our listening partner and really avoiding and resisting the urge to to offer fixing advice criticism comments yeah anything like listening is is listening that's what we're doing so we're really trying to welcome their feelings even when their feelings are really big big and as I said that often requires us to be getting ongoing listening and support for ourselves and yeah just not interrupting not trying to reason not trying to advise not trying to comment whilst they're in the midst of sharing and then later from a connected space we can go and have those beautiful respectful connected conversations where we get to share what we might be thinking or something we might be worried about in relation to something that they've shared but in the actual moment of the big feelings just like with toddlers with our teenagers we're just listening we're just holding that space for them and that's really really important when it comes to sleep too Yes. And, and I don't know about you, but I found that more difficult occasionally because there's a sense of like, they're more like an adult. So it's like, they're not like a little child anymore. It's not like seeing them through that lens to really remember. It's really still our role to listen to those feelings, to not take them personally, to not go into our younger parts, exactly as you said. It's a big thing, isn't it, to, to do all of these things. And- yeah. It is. And also because as teenagers, as they get older, they start to make decisions for themselves. We're not we're not organizing their lives for them anymore. They're organizing their own lives and they're having privacy in that, which is really important that we're respecting their needs for privacy in that. But as a result, sometimes they make decisions that we might not agree with or that we might really want to go. Oh, no, if you do that, though, it would mean x y and z or whatever. And so it really is a huge process to to trust to listen and to not go into that advice, certainly not in the moment of, of of the big feelings anyway. But yeah, it can be, it's really hard to navigate. And that's why, yeah, ongoing listening for us is so important so that we can take all these fears and worries or concerns or frustrations or whatever it is that we're feeling about what our teens are doing. And we can take that to our beautiful listening partners. And then we come back to our teens from a space of, of trust and connection again. So yeah it's so vital isn't it so incredibly vital I also love what you said earlier on as well about really responding to each child or teen individually and that they can be so different in terms of their sleep and some of that might be the amount of feelings that they're feeling it might also be some of those external factors that you already talked about and some of it might just be kind of innate differences that they that they're expressing as well I certainly experienced a difference between my son and daughter in terms of sleep and I think some of that is definitely feelings but it's really really different again that we really as always with aware parenting always really looking at each individual child and and those innate differences as well as the differences in stress and trauma that they've experienced as well as all those other factors like are they sleeping 
closer to the, do they have a brighter light or always checking out those other kinds of things. As you know, I just had an EMF expert to come and have a look at my house and just seeing the different levels that were in each of our rooms, you know, to be, of course, with the way parenting, we're always looking at needs, which includes just deep physiological effects of all the things that you shared about as well. Like the things that we may not necessarily take into account but that deeply affect how relaxed we can feel whatever age we are and how easily we can sleep yeah yeah absolutely and doing what we can to reduce stress is so important for children of all ages and that's such a fundamental part of aware parenting too isn't it that we are taking steps to reduce stress and sometimes that must means you know doing what we can to advocate for them in school or maybe that means taking them away and and making sure that they get lots of time in in nature or going to the beach or you know looking after their well-being in in other ways but that's such a big part of it and sometimes that's that's family stress too and if we're finding ourselves for whatever reason where there is lots of stress in the family that's a really nice invitation to be making sure everybody's needs are getting met making sure everybody's getting listening and then keep coming back to these basics of connection and compassion peaceful conflict resolution of having family meetings having spaces where we can all share and all of those other aspects of aware parenting that are so important too yes I often talk about sleep being almost like the most sensitive barometer to what's going on so often anything that's happening it will show up in sleep and so I often think we can sometimes kind of flip it and yes of course welcome frustration and all the things powerlessness tiredness exhaustion of course so much loving compassion but if we can flip it around to oh, this is a barometer sleep and what's going on in sleep is is going to be indicating something going on that needs attending to and that might be something really on that deep physiological level or it might be related to all the other factors that we've talked about but I find that a really helpful thing to see ah okay the sleep barometer what's the sleep barometer telling us today (laughs) yeah absolutely and the same is true of us as well isn't it like I know that if I'm waking at four o'clock in the morning and I'm awake for an hour it's a real sign that there's something there that's needing my attention so yeah it certainly is true for our, our children too whatever their age is so yeah absolutely and I think the other thing about aware parenting too that especially for people who are coming later to aware parenting is the importance of not having punishments in the family and it's yeah that's such a fundamental aspect of aware parenting to to not be having a punitive environment and again if we're looking at trying to create emotional safety trying to build connection trying to listen to feelings trying to support the release of stress and trauma that is just the key thing that that has to be not part of the equation is if there's punishments there then then there's not going to be that experience of emotional safety and there's not going to be that same sense of connection and support so that's that's also another one to be to be thinking about if if we've come to it late and again we can if we have come to it late and we have had punishments for our children in the past it's so easy to just rewind and to again use that beautiful tool of aware parenting too to say to our children sorry and I I I wish I'd known then what I know now and I understand that that you might have feelings about how things were in the past in our family and I'm here to listen to those feelings and you can always repair you can always heal Uh, and then choose to do things differently once you have that information. Yeah, such a relief, isn't it, to know that always we can go back to that, those reparative experiences and however long ago things happen. And that might also include like when we were talking earlier on about 
if you didn't know about aware parenting earlier on, or perhaps you were talking you in terms of our listeners, not you, just didn't co-sleep or didn't have much closeness earlier on around sleep that an older child might want closeness now, might want to suddenly start co-sleeping at a later age. And again, really listening in to ourselves about whether you're actually willing to do that and really seeing the normal, natural healthiness of that and that these are part of those reparative experiences. Mm. Yeah, so helpful to know that, isn't it? So helpful because we all have times when we've responded from our, our own pain and our own our own unhealed trauma has been touched by something and then we are, yeah, we respond harshly. And I think it's so often parents say, oh, I'm not aware parenting properly or I'm, you know, I'm doing it wrong or whatever. And really it's just all part of the same beautiful process. And it it's fine. It, you know, it's always fine because with these, with these tools of aware parenting, we can always repair, we can always heal, we can always acknowledge, we can always keep trying to to do things differently. And it's just, I love that compassionate sort of understanding for all of us. Yeah, me too. It just makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else that you wanted to say about sleep, Joss? Um, I don't think so. Oh, well, I suppose the other thing that we can do to support our children as they get older as well, maybe they might want to as well as doing all these other things of aware parenting, it might be helpful for them to to learn about you know, relaxation and meditation and mindfulness or breathing exercises or, or whatever, any of those sorts of things that can support us too, not as a way of, you know, um, suppressing feelings because it can be used in that way but rather just as a way to support their natural relaxation some more so that's something that I found helpful uh, at times for my kids when they were when they were younger to to be able to relax to listen to a little guided meditation before sleep too just to help bring their nervous systems back into calm and if it's done as I said in conjunction with listening to feelings and play and all those other things that can also be helpful for them Yes, just as there are so many different factors that are uh, affecting sleep and making it harder, there are so many different things that we can also bring in to support that. Yeah, I'm really grateful from doing hypnobirthing and calm birth and learning those things and remembering how often I I drift off to sleep as I was doing them. I do them afterwards as well. And when my children were uh, babies, you know, just really knowing how to, to feel relaxed in a way, as you said, that isn't suppressing or bypassing feelings but it's actually just supporting that beautiful process and of course because our stress is going to be affecting our babies and children and even teens as well so that actually supporting ourselves to feel more relaxed through through talking to our empty bodies and crying and raging but also finding ways to support us to to feel relaxed in ways that aren't dissociating it's really helpful isn't it yeah, it's so helpful. And that comes back to meeting needs, doesn't it? That we we all have these needs to be to be having times that are that feel really nourishing and restoring and relaxing. And and again, you know, when you're in the midst of it with really young children, it's so hard to imagine the possibility of having time to be able to go and tend to your those needs in your body. But yeah, and again, it's a short it's a short period, even though it feels it feels huge at the time. But then as your kids get older, we do increasingly have time and spaciousness to be able to tend to ourselves in these ways that make such a difference. Yes. Yum. <laughs> ah, anything else? I mean, I know we could probably carry on talking yeah. for 10 hours, but I love talking <laughs> with you, Charles. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that's that's probably it really. I think there's some things around like supporting our teenagers to to be able to take healthy risks and to be able to, you know, do make choices for themselves and to go out and, and do things that are exciting and risk-taking, but always keeping that perspective that we don't want them to be, you know, if we ever have signs that uh, we're worried that our children's well-being is is being is in danger. Perhaps if we ever have a s- suspicion that our child might be you're really struggling psychologically if, if their sleep is very disrupted or, you know, if we suspect that they might be taking drugs or those other things, then of course, that's a really, that's a really important moment to be, to be supporting our children and, and perhaps reaching out externally for other support too, and still practicing all of these beautiful tools of aware parenting, which will be so helpful and so beneficial for them as well. But just, just to, just to acknowledge that sometimes people do struggle with big, big, big things in these teenage years and, and they do need extra support. Mm, I really appreciate you naming that, Justin. I think that's at any age, isn't it? If a child or a baby is really having particular things show up in relation to sleep, that's always really important, I think, to, to trust ourselves as parents. If we're ever concerned that there might be something else going on that isn't being addressed here, to really to trust to trust yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so important. Hmm. So I'd love to hear Joss. Well, I know all the wonderful things you're doing, but I'd, I'd love for you to share to the listeners who would like to know more about your work and what you've got on at the moment and what you offer so that they can come and get to experience more of your wondrousness. <laughs> would you be willing to share more? Thank you, Marion. Yeah, I'd love to. So I do um, I do one-to-one sessions and I do sessions with with both parents when there's some when there's some tensions or disagreements or conflicts around parenting I love doing that as well I have a free introduction to aware parenting course on my website share lots of information and articles on there and of course on my podcast too I have an aware parenting teenagers course which is like an ongoing self-paced course as well as having live regular live rounds which I really am loving and I have I'm in the process of putting finishing uh, a new offering to support partners to work together um, in parenting, regardless of whether that's you actually in a partnership with that person or whether it's an ex or whether it's a blended family or whatever your your circumstances are. So I'm still in the process of finishing that. And I do workshops and, and presentations and things as well. So I love supporting people with all stages of aware parenting. I think it's just the most beautiful, beautiful thing. And yeah. So if anybody wants to contact me, my social media is Aware Parenting with Joss and my website is awareparenting.com.au. Yeah, and I'll include those in the show notes as well for anybody who wants to come and follow you. And and as you know, Joss, I think you're wonderful. I'm so honoured and touched. I love our friendship and our our collaborations as well. And so thank you so much for coming along. And and I, I feel inspired and I'm going over some awesome some yumminess lots of yumminess but some particular ideas and inspiration so thank you so much for coming along and being here and I so appreciate you thank you Marianne I so appreciate everything that I've learned from you over the years and keep still learning from you every time we speak so thank you for the opportunity thank you lovely so much love to you and so much love to all our listeners and if you are having challenges with sleep we are just sending you lots of love and compassion and a very big hug (laughs) 